0: Um, Thank you all. Um, It is a gift to be with you and to be here and to now be official and you can't get rid of me now um, without some effort so we're grateful. I know I speak for my family. Um, I say that this is this is really a a gift and a blessing to us so thanks for having us with you. Um, We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. It's going to be on the screen. It's also in your handout Um, and uh, speaking of gifts, Uh, everybody's family does gifts on Christmas morning differently, okay? Some of y'all, you know, like, before the adults even get downstairs, everyone has ripped through everything, and it's basically over already, like, just with a bang, and then it was over. Some of you go through this torturous, everyone opens one gift at a time, and everyone has to watch them open their gift. Like, it's like undressing your gift, you know, in front of everybody. Um, And some people, like, in my family growing up, um, I had a single mom, and, um, and she worked really hard, and Christmas was a big deal for her. And so she made a, she like put stuff on layaway. Y'all remember layaway? Some of you, give me, can I get an amen if you remember Kmart layaway? Thank you. Um, <clears throat> do people still lay things away? <laughs> I hope so, okay. Um, and my mom would do layaway. And so she, the way that we did it was we would have all the gifts, and then there would more often than not be another gift that was like, after the gifts were over, it's like, and she wanted it to be like, it was done. And she actually, I feel like, wanted a sense of disappointment to set in, like, didn't quite get everything that I was hoping for. And then, oh, lo and behold, an hour later, if you look in the garage or whatever, that it was, we didn't have a garage, but, you know, that it was, it was there. And that space between the last gift and the last gift is, is where most of us live our lives. Um, that sense of, uh, am I disappointed? Uh, I was kind of hoping that there was going to be something else. Is it okay for me to be hoping that there's something else? Should I be expecting more? That's where most of us do our lives. And that's what this passage is all about. It's about women and men living in that in-between space, um, hoping and dealing with their disappointment. And they're dealing with their unmet longings. So let's read from Hebrews 11, and then we will dive in. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country he lived in tents as did isaac and jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is god and by faith even sarah who was past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise and so from this one man And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the the seashore. Here's where I want us to really focus in. All these people were still living uh, by faith when when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask him to bless it. Uh, Father, thank you that you speak to us, that you made everything that is out of things that we couldn't even see. And Lord, you, you cause us to hear you, that we might see you by faith, and have delight and satisfaction in you. And I pray that you would be with us now to help us to long for you together. Um, And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Each of you has something in your house. I would imagine that you don't know what you're supposed to do with it. It could be the person that you may be married to, um, or a child, or a pet. but I really mean uh, like a key. Like you probably have a key in your house and you're like, I have no idea what this key opens or locks um, or a light switch. And like when you try to turn on the light in the kitchen, you always hit the wrong one and you're like, what is this even turning on? There was an old commercial where the guy was like, what does this switch do? And it was like opening and closing a garage door in, in, uh, in, in Russia on, the, on like the hood of the car, you know? Um, Each of us have have unmet longings, things that we are hoping for and we're not sure whether we should hope for them, but yet we long for them and we don't know what to do with those things. We don't know what their purpose is, like what do they unlock? What do they turn on? We want our family to be warm and loving and to enjoy being together. We want our work to be fulfilling. We want our sleep to actually help us feel rested. We long for things to happen and for God to show up. And as we dive in this morning, I simply just want you to think of something that you are longing for, a place that you want satisfaction and contentment in. And I want you to hold it in your mind as we walk through this passage. Uh, You may love Redeemer Church. I think it's pretty great so far. You know, I'm in on Redeemer um, for sure, Uh, but chances are you never quite feel at home here, no matter how long you've been here. There's always a sense of like, I've been here forever, but still there's some distance. Or can I break into this place? I love this place. Can I belong here? You never feel quite at home in your house or else you would stop looking at other houses when you drive by, right? You never feel quite at home in your school. There are these itches that are never quite scratched and we're left with unmet longings no matter how good things are going in our lives. We just moved here, and we bought a house, which is absurd, because when I was growing up, people that bought houses were wealthy, so now we are wealthy, and we are, you know? Um, and we, we bought this house. It's amazing. Come on, 805 Magnolia, call first, um, uh, unless you just want to talk outside, in which case. Um, and and we, we started in this wonderful place. We love Winston-Salem. We're, we're amazed, but our family's unmet longings have been more pronounced than I can remember. That there are expectations that we have that aren't met. Things that we're hoping for that we're not sure will they happen. And what do you do with these things? Um, that's, That's where we are this morning. And that's what the people in this passage wrestled with with their lives. So all I really want to look at with you is like what, how shouldn't we deal with our unmet longings and how can we? And what we often do with our unmet longings is we either try to do everything or we do nothing. Some of us, when we consider the gap between what we want to happen and what we expect will happen, some of us let our anxiety rule us. We let our anxiety take over and we try to grab control and try to be enough to span the gap. To make sure the relationship works out. To make this vacation actually happy, dang it. you know, um, It's not going to be like when I was growing up. It's going to be better and your kids are like, I don't know. Um, right? uh, we try to have enough strength to get through the thing that we feel like is besetting us, the thing that we're worried that it's not going to work out, we try to be enough to make it happen because we just don't know, is it going to work out? And then there are others of us that, of course, know exactly what's going to happen, right? It's not going to work out. Um, I was talking with a guy yesterday, and every time I asked him a question, he gave me this answer. I was like, how long have you been living in Burlington? He's like, 15 years too long. And every answer was like, and, and I was like, it's kind of funny at first, but I'm kind of like, hey, it's okay with me if you don't like living in Burlington. Like, I'm, I mean, I, I get it, you know, like, I, um, I don't live in Burlington, but it's okay. Like, you don't have to self-protect. Like, that's what we do. We become so cynical, like, oh, the glass isn't half empty or half full. Your glass is just twice as big as it needs to be. Like, and, and, and we become cynical. And so we actually don't do anything. And a cynic is just an idealist that's been disappointed one too many times, Right? Those of us that are really cynical actually really have huge dreams and big longings, but we try to protect ourselves from being hurt and being disappointed by them. And, you know, sometimes things don't work out. That's the reality. We live in a broken world. Um, I think that this was part of what was so powerful to me when I came to faith for the first time in Jesus is a recognition that, yeah, the world is messed up. Things do fall apart. When I got this, uh, this call for this job, it was time I felt to get some big boy clothes, um, like adult clothing that adults wear to work, um, because I've been working with college students and it didn't matter, and I was always more mature than them anyway, so it, who cares? Um, but like some of y'all, are like you know, like work at like they're like doctors and lawyers and like scary professions that you know, and so I was like, I need to get some clothes, so I went on this website called Everlane, which is very. Um, it's like, I'm millennial, so it's like super sustainable, and you can see that they, you know, no one's chained to the like, uh, the um, sewing machine, you know, they're paying a fair wage. These are, things are important, and they're good clothes. My wife had been ahead of me on the train, as always, and so I ordered some clothes, and I ordered like two pairs of pants and like three shirts, and they were like, two, it was like $200. And I was like, oh, this is really out of character for me, I'm usually more of a goodwill person. and. Um, but I was really nervous, and the, so the first Sunday before we came here, and we were introduced—I think this is the, the right day—I um, washed the clothes because you got to wash them before you wear them, which a tip from my wife—and um, and I was afraid to put them in the dryer because things go wrong in the dryer, and um, so I hung them up to dry. But I don't know if you know this, but if you hang things up to dry, they still have wrinkles on them, and so. I got this wrinkle release spray, long story short, and it was the night before we were coming here, and I started spraying my clothes with the wrinkle release spray, just to kind of get the wrinkles out, you know, dress like a big boy. And um, and then I realized about halfway through that I actually didn't grab the wrinkle release spray, I grabbed the bathroom cleaner with bleach. And um, I had proceeded to like, just like go to town on my clothes. And like, that story is funny, like if it's not so cringeworthy, you know. Because like, there's no unbleaching the clothes, right? And, 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 and some of us are like, that's where you are. You're like, there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube of what has happened in my life. That like, I, that I'm disappointed and the world is broken and it feels hopelessly uh, unfixable. And in a broken world with an unknown future, Jesus doesn't want you to try and fix everything, to control it tightly and make sure everything works out, nor does he want you to be cynical and just assume the worst and do nothing to protect yourself from disappointment. He wants us first and foremost to learn to sit with him in our unmet longings, to have the courage to actually sit down with Jesus and say, I didn't think it was going to be like this and I'm disappointed. Is it going to work out? Look at verse 13. All the people that were listed, it says all these people died when they were still living by faith. They only saw the things promised from it and welcomed them from a distance and look what it says, and they were admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. What Jesus calls us to do, what it looks to live looks like to live by faith is to recognize and admit and sit in I don't belong here, that I don't feel at home here. I feel like an outsider. Because consider Jesus, who was the ultimate stranger and exile, the ultimate outsider, the ultimate foreigner. He dealt in unmet longings. If you want to know what Jesus is all about, Jesus is all about some some unmet longings and acting in them. He, as as part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one God, this amazing, mysterious thing, lived in this perfect, loving relationship that was robust and warm and beautiful with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, where he was known completely and did not feel like a stranger. He felt completely at home and was at home and at rest. And he had all the glory and all the power, everything he needed, yet he showed up, as our Pastor Giorgio already said, in the womb of a poor teenage girl out in a poor backwater in rural Israel. Okay? Not even in the city in Israel back in the day, but in the country with the rednecks in Israel before there was electricity or running water or hospitals or anything. He showed up there. And think about his family, his mom and dad, his siblings, his friends, his disciples, everyone around him. Can you imagine how lonely Jesus must have felt daily? That These people don't understand me. Like They don't get where I come from. They don't get what I'm all about. They don't even understand the words that I'm trying to say and how, long, how strong the longing for heaven must have been in Jesus, to go back there and to be done with this. Yet he did not turn inward on himself. He didn't protect himself with cynicism. He was hopeful, and he didn't detach from those around him. He actually didn't even try to control everything. But he entrusted himself to God, and he was the most totally engaged person in his community that ever existed. To work actively for the good, Of those around him, because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life literally for us in his unmet longings. And what might it look like for you simply to spend time with Jesus, admitting before him that you just don't feel like you belong here, that you don't feel at home, that what you really want, you're never actually going to find here in this life? And here's what I want you to hear. That is okay. Not only is it okay, it's godly. Unmet longings are godly. They're beautiful. They're normal. They're where God wants you to be. Because unless you have the courage to sit in them and say, I'm disappointed, I want it to turn out better, then you'll never actually learn to long for those things that that God really has for us. Because the end of the story, like with, with, with the clothes from Everlane, is that I was, like, I literally laid down in bed, and I was like, who, why even try, you know, I'm a fraud, my wife's, like, rubbing my back, (laughs) like, I got real problems, pal, like, I'm sorry you bleached your clothes, you know, like, um, but very gentle about it, um, she actually emailed them, and they sent me new clothes, like, for free, so go shop for Everlane, and let's (laughs) pray, um, they replaced it, They gave me what was new and beautiful that I couldn't unbleach myself. The end of the story is that God makes a new city. Winston-Salem is lovely. We love it. If you've been here for a long time, you should remember to love it. It's a great place to be. But God is making a new city for us, and that place where we go to live with him is our home. Our forever home. The place where we know that we are seen and loved, and that we can belong, and that we can rest. And it's in that place that Jesus wipes away every tear. And death will be no more. Now there should be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, nor cancer anymore, nor addiction anymore, nor divorce anymore. For the former things have passed away. And that's where any of you who come to Jesus by faith will spend forever delighting in the satisfaction that is God. And it's like the hymn says, when you've been there 10,000 years, you don't have any less days to enjoy God in his fullness. And there's a a writer named Dorothy Sayers, and she said that that God has things for us there in that city that are so beautiful and soul satisfying that they will make your happiness now look like trash. That that is what is waiting. The future is absolutely secure in God's hands and there is nothing that any of us can do to make it happen or not happen or to change the timing all God is calling us to do is to learn to long for it together, to teach one another how to long for it together. My kids beg, and understandably so, because they're kids, for marshmallow cereal, okay? Because marshmallow cereal, cereal is the bomb. And um, but the thing is, what I've realized in the last four weeks is we've been like, you know what? Let's just do marshmallow cereal because it's hard enough, you know, to move. Um, and I'd be like, you got to eat shredded wheat. Um, and, but they actually, they're not hungry for it. I know because every morning I dump out entire bowls and I'm like, so that angry dad, like, oh, it's waste. I, I just see like money going down the garbage disposal. Un- uneaten bowls of cereal. Because they're not hungry for it, they just see the box and the box looks amazing, you know? It's like, the, it's like craft beer, you know, for like adults, you know? Uh, it's like, the bottle looks amazing and then when you drink it, you it's like, meh. Tastes kind of weird, you know? Um, <laughs> Tastes kind of unnatural. Um, They want it. They think they're hungry for it, but they're not actually hungry for it. And maybe a lot of what you're hungry for, you're not actually hungry for. Maybe it's just the box. And so the call for us is to take the time to sit in it. And to go for a walk in, in God's presence and say, Lord, I think I want this. Show me. To visit hurting people. Part of the reason I think why God tells us to, uh, to love the poor and spend time with the poor is because when we're with the poor, then we learn how to actually hunger for the things that we actually need to eat. And if we sit with Jesus in our unmet longings, he will teach us how to trust him enough to try. He will teach us, if we sit there with him, how to trust him enough to try, even though we don't know how things are going to work out. If you look at the people in this passage, the people that the writer to the Hebrews lists here are people that live with the most unseen in their life, the most that was out of their control, the most that they couldn't imagine, and yet they were totally active. Noah is to do with the ark, okay? By the way, when you come for a special welcome and blessing to you if you're here and this whole situation is super weird. Church is weird, okay? If you've been here long enough, you forget the church is weird. For example, children's nurseries in all churches, it seems like, are full of Noah's Ark situation. It's like, and this is a story, children, of eight people that lived and everybody else died, you know? Um, <laughs> go to sleep, you know? Um, <clears throat> because, I mean, nobody, it wasn't raining. No one thought there was going to be a flood. Like Noah starts building, starts building a, an ark with absolutely no meteorological evidence that what God said is actually going to happen. So he looks like a fool, right? Abraham left the comfort and wealth of his homeland to go somewhere he didn't even know where it was or what it was like. And he was wealthy. He had a lot. He was worshiping the moon and doing great. And when he died, all he owned in that promised land was a burial plot where his bones went. And he lived in a tent his entire life. And the reason why is because verse 10 says he was looking forward to a better city. He could go there because he knew there was a place for him. And then his wife, Sarah, she believed God would give her a child, even though she was, number one, barren, and number two, 90 years old. It wasn't any more normal then than it is now for someone in their 90s to have a child. And the reason why she trusted him with that is because, verse 11, she considered him faithful who had promised. She said, I am sitting, she had sat for, gosh, 70 years longing for a thing enough to find God in it. They spent time sitting in their longings enough to realize that Noah's longing to be respected by his community, or Abraham's longing for wealth and comfort and contentment, or Sarah's longing for a child and the honor of being a mother were actually sitting on the surface of a deep and true longing for God, to be with him, for him to see you and you to see him and to rest. And because of it, they tried really, really hard. They gave themselves. They worked. They poured themselves out. And we usually say that someone should have faith as a way of saying, and don't do anything. Just have faith, and then just let's see what happens. But actually, what the passage is showing us is what it means to have faith is that you, you actually en- are engaged in every bit of you. Trusting Jesus frees you to try. Have you tried to lead? Have you tried to serve? Have you tried to do the thing that you know that when you do it, everyone's going to laugh at you? Because it matters to you and probably doesn't matter to anyone else. Have you tried? To know, like, it's okay to be disappointed with how it turns out. Have you dreamed about how you could be used to love God and neighbor? Because that is actually welcoming what's coming from a distance and inviting it into your life. C.S. Lewis, who, you know, was a was a writer, uh, he was British, that's all we need to know about him. Um, he is no longer living. Um, he, uh, he, great writer uh, in the middle of the 20th century, um, he wrote this. He said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Trusting Jesus allows us to give. There was a man named Charles Tenley. He was a he was uh, he was um, born uh, in the late 19th century, and his uh, his African American man his um, father was a slave, his mother was free, so he was legally uh, a freeman, and he um, was involved and loved loved Jesus, loved the church, and actually worked as the janitor in a church in Philadelphia, and uh, it was an unpaid job, and he was really just subsisting. And um, working hard. And he, over time, felt this call that God should, that he wanted to be part of the ministry, and God was equipping him for that. And so he started going to the local synagogue down the street to learn Hebrew. And he sent off for correspondence classes and worked at night to learn Greek and to learn systematic theology. And over time, went into ministry and actually became the pastor of the church where he was the janitor. And that church, it's, it's known today in Philadelphia as Tenley's Temple. Grew during his time there to a church of over 10,000 people, and it was a beautiful, diverse, multi ethnic um, church in Philadelphia. In a time where that wasn't just like a thing that happens, kind of like our time. And he, but what's beautiful about, about Reverend Tenley is we're going to sing one of his songs during communion called Beams of Heaven, and what he says throughout that hymn is someday, 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 I'll have peace someday. I should like to go there someday. And while he was somedaying and longing, he was working. He knew how broken things were, that you can't just put them back together. He lived in that. And yet he was working with hope and longing. And he tried. The future is unknown. Whether you're here today and you know God or not, the future's unknown. Christians don't have like some secret, like short-term future knowledge. If they do, then... I wouldn't trust that. The reality of everyone on earth is we don't see what's coming up ahead. Christians are no different. But following Jesus into that unknown future is the heritage and calling of God's people. To go after him into what we don't know and to long for and to be hopeful and to try. Because the good news is that even though we don't see God, he sees us. And that even though we don't know our future, he has it secured. And this is, here's the final word. It's right there at the end of the passage. When you are longing for a better home, for a heavenly home, for a new city, God is very proud of you. Right at the end of the passage, it says, They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Your longings make you feel shameful, but they make God feel proud that you are his your Heavenly Father beams with pride as you look forward in hopeful expectation to when he comes and makes all things new. Um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable to hold hands with the person next to you, and here's why. We need each other to help each other long for what's coming. And so as we pray and you feel that the hand of the person next to you, I want you to see that as a, as a promise to them that you will help them long for that day. Let's pray.